as local government, it is the place where we interact and interface with our community values. You don't see that happening at the national level or the federal level or the state level. Across the country, more than 100 cities have adopted ambitious goals to transition to 100% renewable power. But how do these cities plan to get there? A small city on the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, Boulder, Colorado, has long been in the pursuit of clean and renewable energy, and back in 2016, made a community-wide commitment to reach 100% renewable electricity by the year 2030. Our host, John Farrell, caught up with Jonathan Cohn, Boulder's Regional Sustainability Director, last fall to learn more about what motivated the city to act and what progress it has made toward reaching its goal. This is an episode of our special Voices of 100% series of Local Energy Rules, where we're speaking with local leaders from across the country to understand why their city has made such a goal, how their city plans to meet its commitment, and what these visionaries see as the future of local renewable energy. This week, we're talking with Jonathan Cohn, Regional Sustainability Director with the City of Boulder, Colorado, uh, which is long in the tooth in pursuit of renewable energy, but also one of these cities that has made this commitment. Jonathan, welcome to the program. Hey, John. Nice to, nice to talk to you. So I, as I've started off with all of our other guests, I just want to start by asking you, you know, what is Boulder's motivation in this pursuit of 100% renewable energy? Why, why go for this? Well, that's a good place to start. I, I would say it's it's a fairly complex answer, and let me kind of unpack that for you. So, you know, early on, I think Boulder recognized that the transformation of our energy system is essential if we're going to stop burning fossil fuels. And and you know, the reality is is that transition presents an unparalleled opportunity. Also, so what started many many years ago in terms of Boulder's commitment uh, in in terms of sustainability. Uh, Boulder was uh, the first city to tax itself for the preservation of open space. We had the first green building requirements. And then in 2005, 2006, we developed our climate action plan and to pay for those strategies, our carbon tax. And as we moved forward in thinking about uh, really what is beneficial to the Boulder community, what aligns with our values as a community, the idea that renewables is really, I think, a a really important catalyst in exploring and opening up all of these opportunities. And, And what I mean by that is it's not just about greening the electrons. It's about understanding that energy is is so much broader than just electricity. So when we talk about energy, we mean electricity, we mean uh, natural gas uh, or alternatives for uh, for heating and industrial processing and, of course, petroleum for transportation. So when you think about energy, or at least as we think about energy, uh, it represents 99% of our emissions. So when we recognize that in that transition to cleaner resources uh, and cleaner alternatives, it also brings forward all of these amazing opportunities in terms of ingenuity and entrepreneurship and and new ways to develop and deploy technology and really support our low and fixed income. It is that great kind of coming together of, of the, the Venn diagram of the, the, the legs of, uh, of the sustainability model. And we talk about, of course, the economic, social, and environmental, but we also talk about equitability and resilience and so it is a way to kind of bring those pieces together. And I know that's a very long answer, but it is what drives our efforts here in Boulder when it comes to climate and energy. Now, one of the things that I've always been fascinated with about Boulder, Boulder has been this long-term commitment now, uh, you know, your first ballot initiative uh, to approve the city to take over the electric company to municipalize the utility was back in 2011. It's been going on for seven years now. 
Um, but for a good reason, in a podcast interview I did with your former mayor, Susan Osborne, in 2013, I cited back to her, uh, the local paper had kind of outlined what the feasibility study had said about this possibility of a city-owned utility. It had said, it can offer lower rates to customers, not just on day one, but over 20 years. It could maintain or exceed current levels of reliability. It could reduce greenhouse gas emissions by more than 50% within the first year. You get 50% or more of the electricity from renewables. And you could create a model public utility that could, uh, as they said, and I quote, allow for innovation in everything from energy efficiency to customer service. So I think it's pretty clear from that that you saw a lot of value add in this particular strategy, municipalization. Um, you know, I just want to ask you because, you know, we were chatting before we got online here, before we were recording about Excel Energy. So that's your in- investor-owned utility company that serves Boulder. And they've recently put together a resource plan that pretty much gets them to the level of renewables that five years ago you were talking about a municipal utility could get to. So does that does that take away from what you could get by taking this strategy, by looking at having a city-run utility uh, in terms of the 100% goal, but the other goals that the city of Boulder has? Well, a lot of question there. So let me let me go back just a little bit and um, talk uh, just briefly about uh, the, the intent behind municipalization. So let me begin by saying that we have never demonized Excel Energy as our investor-owned utility. I think what is really fascinating is as local government, uh, it is the place where we interact and interface with our community values. You don't see that happening at the national level or the federal level or the state level. So we have to react to, to the needs and desires and values of our community. And what's critical about that is we have always thought about our role and job as looking uh, forward and thinking about the health, safety, welfare, economic prosperity, uh, equitability of, of our community. And so if we're not really addressing climate issues, if we're not thinking about um, the, the resilience of our energy system, then we're not doing our job. And so the idea of municipalization is, is a really clunky and kind of uh, crude way to get to where we want to go. And I will just admit that the majority of us uh, in, in the city are pretty agnostic on how we get there. We developed a whole series of goals, one of which is access to renewable energy. Uh, but there are other commitments that were made and other goals that related to uh, price stability and, um, you know, looking at high levels of reliability, being able to work with entrepreneurs and our uh, local energy companies to test and model some of their devices and technology, and, and really shifting the notion of what a utility does uh, and becoming more of a service provider rather than the seller of the commodity, which is a kilowatt hour. And there's been a lot of talk about the utility of the future, uh, not just here in Boulder, but across the country as, as markets shift and as the desires shift and as customers become more literate on choice. So it's always been our aim to really figure out how the utility functions in a, in a much different way. Now, you bring up a really critical point, which is we knew Excel Energy was going to move in the direction that we has all, we've always hoped they would move in terms of procuring more clean electricity, more clean electrons, and offering that to consumers. But it matters how they do it in terms of ownership structure. So as we think about a decentralized model, one which uh, everyone has the ability to have a power plant on their roof, have the ability to overgenerate and sell or donate excess power, that whole transactive energy concept, how we start to harmonize the components of electrification, 
of our thermal system, electrification of our transportation system. Um, those are really, really cutting edge things that we all hear about. And the utility plays a central role in that. So we've always said where we need to go is one uh, that a utility is that facilitator and it enables those kind of uh, new, a new marketplace, so to speak. So Excel is moving in the right direction. The question is, are they going to get there far? Are they going to get far enough? Are they going to get there fast enough? And this last round of bids and the selection of, of their resources and their last ERP just in the past couple of weeks really is exciting. It's exciting to see that the market has responded and it is now uh, much, it's actually cheaper to build new wind and include storage than it is to run existing coal plants in the state of Colorado. That is extraordinary. So what does that mean for our efforts in terms of municipalization? It means that uh, the the differential between status quo and what we could do on day one may get a little bit smaller, but our goal is to get to 100% by 2030. That is the goal that our our community has committed to. It's the goal that our city council has codified. And as I said earlier, when I talk about it matters how to do how we do it, we have a goal for local generation as well. So we are looking to get to 100 megawatts of local generation in the city of Boulder by 2030. So you find that pinch point then between a utility that may be installing and owning large centralized solar and wind plants in the southeast or southwest corner of the state versus distributed generation on our rooftops that adds resilience, adds those benefits back to consumers directly. And so I, I think we are seeing the, the conversation shift to not are renewables viable and should that be the direction we go, but how do you do it and what's the right ownership structure? And I want to just emphasize too, and what you've said and what I've heard you had in particular, I, I really liked what you were saying about local government being this place where you know you're it's the level of government where you can most directly interact with community values and i think that's really reflected in, in what you said before uh, or in what you're saying now about this municip municipalization process uh it seems it's it's sort of a natural continuation as you said that you know the citizens of boulder have been willing to uh take on to apply these values locally in a lot of different ways through the power of their city whether that's as you said green building requirements taxing themselves for open space, the, one of the first cities to tax themselves uh, uh, for carbon emissions uh, to help drive forward uh, this goal. Are there other complementary measures that the city is taking? So municipalization is kind of the headline thing, right? It's been going on for seven years. It's this huge undertaking. Um, there have been a couple of points of big opposition, and I'd like to come back to that. What other things is Boulder doing at the city level, at the local level, to help uh, accelerate toward 100% other than this conversation about the ownership of the system, although that is obviously a very important one. Well, I'm so glad you asked the question because I think one of the criticisms we hear regularly is that all of our resources, all of our time has been devoted to, uh, you know, as I said, kind of this, this crude uh, notion of buying the distribution system and starting up our own electric utility. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. It is one of our prime focus areas because our our, our community has continued to vote in favor of uh, moving forward until we can't move forward. But along the way, we have continued to implement cutting-edge uh, strategies related to reducing emissions and accessing clean electricity. So from the things that are kind of central to our competency as local government, uh, looking at energy efficiency requirements, uh, not only from our commercial sector, but for our rental housing 
And so we were the first community to have rental housing uh, efficiency requirements, which is extraordinary. It's really uh, dramatically improved the, the quality of our rental housing in Boulder. Um, we have really taken a different approach in thinking about, as a community, that it isn't about just one city. How, if one city is 100% renewable, so what? What really matters is how we share and how we export learning and how we work together and lean on one another in terms of communities. And so big focus area over the past couple of years has been building out our networks of cities, really relying on one another in terms of going to the state legislature, going to the PUC, uh, looking at the federal level uh, to, to change policy. So we've created uh, a couple of coalitions. One is called the Colorado Communities for Climate Action, or CC4CA. It's a coalition of now 22 cities across our jurisdictions. It does include some counties across the state of Colorado that is uh, acutely focused on policy reform related to climate. We don't shy away from it. We talk about resilience. We talk about climate. And we've been incredibly effective at working with the governor's office and working with state legislators to to really remove those restrictions that that we bump into. And I think that's one of the challenges that that local communities face. We say, you know, in a regulated state like Colorado, uh, our utility, you know, it's a regulated monopoly. And we say, well, we we'll do whatever we can do, and that really kind of boils down to efficiency or uh, on the customer side of the meter. Yet the things that are the biggest levers we can pull, uh, we continue to bump into the either regulation or policy that is restrictive. So we often throw up our hands and say, well, gosh, there's nothing we can do. We have turned that uh, around to say, no, in fact, this coalition represents one-seventh of the population of this state. We now have a seat at the table. Uh, we are working with our state leadership to really devise and develop new policy that enables really, really aggressive local action that really transforms the benefits uh, that we've seen in the past. We are also strongly, strongly focused on the electrification of, uh, of our transit system. And we've just launched a program in the past couple of months around that we call uh, Comfort 365, really looking at how do we as a community and community members think about the transition off of natural gas? What does that look like? How do, how do we do that so we don't create winners and losers? And so we've done a bunch of pilot projects to figure out how you bundle some of these services um, and really uh, make this transformational change. And so we've done full neighborhood transformations around natural gas conversion. Um, and just this past week, we were so honored to host the Carbon Neutral Cities Alliance uh, annual meeting. We had 24 cities from around the globe. These are leaders uh, in the, you know, uh, in the in the world, uh, really thinking about some of the transformational strategies, and we are by far the smallest community, but it really speaks volumes to to our commitment in this area. Uh, and we were able to really work uh, collaboratively with those communities to say what are the most effective strategies, and how do we really pivot away from just offering energy efficiency services to really thinking about the biggest levers we can pull in each community. So I think you hear some examples. I mean, I, you mentioned the, for example, the local policy of energy efficiency for multifamily residential properties or smart regs, and that that's working out well. One one question I know I want to ask on behalf of folks uh, here in Minneapolis is how does that affect af affordability? And then I'd love to ask you about some of these other specific policies that you've been with your coalition advocating for at the state level. 
Sure. So you know, to, your, to your question around affordability, I think one of the challenges we were facing, and I know this is, is not uh, so unusual for a lot of communities, particularly those with universities, over 50% of our housing here in Boulder is rental, which is typically the, the lowest quality, the least efficient. And so we started thinking about our um, kind of clean energy future design for new buildings, um, and the redesign on uh, moving towards net zero or net positive buildings and neighborhoods. So as we looked at our code with regard to new construction, we don't have a lot of new construction in Boulder. We uh, are able to address efficiency and energy requirements uh, for remodels and additions. And we look to say, well, uh, in terms of equitability, who is uh, hit the hardest? And it really is the renters. And so we worked with our rental housing association to say, how do we kind of ease into this idea of increasing the quality of, of our housing stock for renters? Uh, and so we worked in parallel uh, with our rental housing association. I would not suggest that it was easy at the beginning, but uh, we are nearing the completion of, of our um, compliance period where we've been able to get uh, over 90% of our rental housing compliant with our energy efficiency requirements through smart regs. And, you know, I think the fear at the beginning is that those uh, those costs would be um, really transferred to the renters. We haven't seen that occur. There's been some indication that rents in certain areas have increased, but by increasing the literacy of the renters at the same time, we're able to work with the whole system to say, uh, what does a savings look like and how do you actually transfer the savings uh, to the tenant, not just the cost for the upgrades? And so, you know, it was a little bit rocky at the beginning, but it really has smoothed out. And we have done a number of studies and analyses to show that the, the benefit has actually been pretty extraordinary in terms of cost savings. You're listening to an interview with Jonathan Cohn from Boulder, Colorado, as part of our Voices of 100% series of Local Energy Rules. Do you know any folks we should interview about 100% renewable energy commitments in their community? If so, please send us an email at voicesof100 at ilsr.org. That's voices of 100 at ilsr.org. Stay tuned for the rest of this episode after a short message from our Energy Democracy Initiative Director, John Farrell. Hey, thanks for listening to Local Energy Rules. If you've made it this far, you're obviously a fan, and we could use your help for just two minutes. As you've probably noticed, we don't have any corporate sponsors or ads for any of our podcasts. The reason is that our mission at ILSR is to reinvigorate democracy by decentralizing economic power. Instead, we rely on you, our listeners. Your donations not only underwrite this podcast, but also help us produce all of the research and resources that we make available on our website and all of the technical assistance we provide to grassroots organizations. Every year, ILSR's small staff helps hundreds of communities challenge monopoly power directly and rebuild their local economies. So please take a minute and go to ilsr.org and click on the Donate button. And if making a donation isn't something you can do, please consider helping us in other ways. You can help other folks find this podcast by telling them about it or by giving it a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The more ratings from listeners like you, the more folks can find this podcast and ILSR's other podcasts, Community Broadband Bits, and Building Local Power. Thanks again for listening. Now, back to the program. You know, I want to get into some of these other policy uh, concepts that you were talking about. You know, in this 
coalition work that you're doing at the state level, you, you mentioned kind of bumping into restrictive policies, right. whether that's the fact that it's, you know, ut- electric utilities are regulated monopolies, gas utilities are regulated monopolies. It's a, you know, something that's true of over, over 30 states. What are, what are some of those things that you're asking for when you go to state leaders, state legislators uh, to, that would give the local community more power to address these issues of climate and energy? Yeah, so that's an interesting one. So if you, um, anyone can take a look at our website, which is, you can just type in CC, uh, the number four CA, CC4CA. And, and on the website, we have our policy agenda that was not a small feat <laughs> trying, trying to get, uh, you know, a couple of dozen communities and jurisdictions to agree on a policy agenda. But we were able to get there. And the the purpose is to identify and and really think broadly, but also give specific examples of where do we run into these uh, kind of barriers that either restrict local jurisdictions from going farther faster uh, or policies that would really shift the entire state. Now, I should say that not every community represented is actually in the regulated service territory. So Excel Energy is essentially the own investor and utility. But there are a number of municipal utilities. There are co-ops and rural electric utilities uh, that are also represented uh, within CC4CA. So we try to balance our asks between those that are specific to regulation versus those that are more wide, uh, widespread in terms of, of policy or legislation. So some examples. The state of Colorado, uh, sh- sure, we have an, uh, our Governor Hickenlooper has signed an executive order related to climate. Uh, and uh, set some um, some high-level goals, but we don't have uh, an updated inventory. We don't have an agency within the state uh, government that is actually monitoring and measuring progress. And so that's an area that we've been focused on pretty heavily. Clean car standards, of course, uh, zero-emission vehicles, uh, making sure that that's included in our state plan, uh, looking at the transition uh, as we think about decommissioning coal and natural gas, uh, to my earlier comment, it, it does matter how it's done. So we are looking at things like increasing the size limitation on qualified facilities, looking at ways to remove some restrictions on sizing distributed generation uh, in, in our communities. So the 120% rule is a perfect example of that, where uh, it, it's a, it was a fine intention when it was developed years ago with regard to um, access to the incentives by the utility, yet the the unintended consequence is now as we think about solar as a tool for long-term affordability, as we think about solar as a tool for energy resilience in our communities, as we think about the integration of storage uh, in our communities, we run into interconnect requirements and sizing limitations. So it's our goal and our aim to go to the the code where those restrictions exist and get sponsorship to relax or remove some of those restrictions. Because I don't think that the the legislature contemplated that it would be affordable and advantageous for community members to start looking at residential storage, neighborhood scale storage, and how that gets deployed within a community. So those are some examples of what we're really focused on in this upcoming session. One of the other things I know that it was either Boulder or Boulder County had done that I thought was pretty impressive, um, that we've covered in uh, a product that we call the Community Power Toolkit. It's kind of an interactive tool for looking at ways that communities can take action. 
boulders featured in any number of places in there for for some powerful examples. But I thought it was really interesting how they were helping organize bulk purchasing of solar panels and electric vehicles, and then also now I believe electric bikes, um, and kind of helping people on the consumer side of things. So you know, on the one hand, you're doing these really cool policy ideas for how you can make it easier for cities to address climate to get to clean energy. But then on the other hand, helping consumers actually access that um, at a for- in an affordable way. Yeah, and that's been one of the, I think, the benefits of working collaboratively. So we work really closely with Boulder County and some of the other communities within Boulder County. And so the bulk purchasing was intended to just, as you described, how do you perhaps drive down the cost even further? We have local sales tax and rebates along with utility rebates, all good stuff. Uh, but the performance-based incentive offered by the utility, at least on residential systems, is really not the driver of, of, uh, of new solar installations. So we are starting to look at how do we get, uh, how do we start to shift and really think about the future of solar, how it can be used a little bit differently. How do you pair it with storage? How do you bundle it with efficiency, an electric vehicle? Um, and look at the affordability and also including that transition uh, when I talked about natural gas a bit earlier. And so looking at how we work with our local manufacturers, or excuse me, our, our local distributor of, of electric vehicles, and, you know, trying to answer that question, um, the role of local government, uh, what should we be focused on? Is it the deployment of charging infrastructure? Is it looking at rebates and incentives to get more vehicles on the road? Is it to really think about the future of, of charging infrastructure and where that will head? So does it make sense to really focus on level two charging or should we figure out how to get more DC fast charging? How do we look at shared fleet opportunities between our governmental agencies looking at uh, autonomous vehicles? One of the projects that I'm really proud of, uh, we use some of our Department of Energy Ready Grant, uh, which is really focused on, on reliability uh, and resilience. And using some of those dollars to partner with uh, a local transit authority to uh, to help them purchase their solar, to put in some storage, but also uh, this great forward thinking idea of electrifying their bus system and then uh, looking at charging those buses with solar and then uh, looking at some autonomous routes on the CU campus. So there's this vision of where we want to go, and these projects are more than just these one-off projects. We're also looking at a microgrid on the CU campus, uh, but not because just because we can do a microgrid, but what's the purpose? What are we trying to what, – what problem are we trying to fix? What questions are we trying to answer? And so we have this great benefit of having the federal labs here, uh, having the university and its research applications to really say – what do we need to do as a community? How do we establish a, a real clear understanding of roles and competencies of all the players? And that's been really exciting, I think, uh, over the past year or so. And it's been a transition. Now, back to your earlier question, all of this is in parallel with our work around municipalization. We know what we can get to if we don't meet the supplies and how far and fast we can go. And we know if we are not a regulated utility, the role of that electric utility shifts pretty dramatically, and it becomes a much stronger player in, in all of this transition. So actually, I, I, I'm glad that you got brought it back to municipalization because I did have a follow-up question. You know, you, you mentioned earlier that Excel Energy, the incumbent utility, uh, investor-owned utility, is uh, 
you know, has been presented in its resource planning with all of these really low cost renewable options uh, that are even cheaper than some of their already built coal plants. Um, they're obviously moving toward renewable energy. How have they been responding to the municipalization campaign? And, you know, I say this with uh, a little tongue in cheek. Obviously, at the beginning, they were strongly opposed. Uh, they threw a lot of resources into trying to stop the city from municipalizing. But, you know, they're, they're now faced with the cost effectiveness of renewables. They're moving in that direction. Have they been responsive on some of the other things that Boulder is interested in, like the 100 megawatts of local energy or, you know, this notion of resiliency and, you know, removing limits from the size of solar arrays? Well, uh, you know, let, let me just, I, I want to put a very fine point on this comment, which is, you, you know, Excel Energy is a for-profit entity, and their business model is one that perhaps is one that just does not align with the values of our community. And so, yes, I, I have to give them a huge amount of credit, um, and I won't debate whether that's being driven by the market or by... Uh, the fact that it is the culture of uh, of the company that perhaps is shifting, that really doesn't matter. I think what it shows up as is that they are moving in the direction that we as a community hope they would move. I don't know how far and fast they'll be able to go in terms of um, really starting to look at customer choice opportunities, looking at ways for consumers, customers, and cities to have more control and more choice over their energy needs and services. Um, they, they've not shown, um, at least a willingness that I have seen yet to, to look at some of these more, I'll call them provocative solutions, yet it, it does create a, a good starting place for us to think about, um, new ways to partner with, with, the with the utility. I remain uh, hugely optimistic and open to the fact that we could still work out some type of deal between, um, the city of Boulder and Excel Energy. I think that they recognize the benefit and the shift in this utility landscape. Uh, when we look at, uh, you know, utilities that are really doing great things, Excel is typically towards the top of the list. But at the end of the day, um, we as a community have been tasked by our community to really figure out how do we get to our goals related to energy? How do we get to 100% renewable uh, electricity, how do we get to 100 megawatts of local generation? And I've not seen the pathway yet with Excel, but again, I, I remain hopeful. They, they are doing what they have been required to do by our Public Utilities Commission. After we finalized our transfer of assets um, a proceeding at the PUC, we have been working with them pretty closely on the, the completion of our uh, required contracts to move into the transition that allows us to go into the condemnation action. So I, I can't say with any amount of certainty that we will create an electric utility. But what I think is important is that we're able to look back and say it's been worth it. And right now I can say that the, the work that we have done, we have learned so much uh, in the past uh, eight years about our energy system about the needs and desires of our community, about the role that resilience truly plays, and how energy and electricity really fit into our overall objectives to decarbonize uh, our energy supply. Well, it's such a beautiful way to bring me to my last question, which is in that eight years of learning about this process, 
What advice do you have for other cities that have made this kind of commitment? I mean, there are now over 70 U.S. cities that have publicly committed to 100% renewable energy. I think few of them with the kind of pedigree uh, and history that Boulder has had even before making that kind of commitment. Um, what would you suggest that they do uh, as if they look to how to achieve this goal? Well, so, yeah, you, I mean, I, I would not suggest that, that we are experts on this at all, but I would say that there are complexities and complications for cities that are thinking about a, a pretty ambitious goal related to electricity or energy. And that actually is my first kind of point. I think it begins with clearly distinguishing between renewable electricity and renewable energy. Um, the former, of course, is a smaller subset. The latter also includes transportation and heat energy. Um, I think that's an important one. A lot of cities get hung up on whether or not uh, they should declare some um, 100% renewable goal without actually having the roadmap to get there. And, and what I would say to that is, you know, whether it's symbolic or not, I think it sends a very strong signal to the marketplace. I think it sends a strong signal that we as communities are going to stand up straight and we are going to make our voices heard in terms of where we want to go. Um, and, and that's really, really important. So as I look across the state of Colorado, we have a handful of communities some of which you would never expect to establish 100% goals. And it is extraordinary because they are looking at it from the perspective of protecting their customers, protecting their most vulnerable population, looking at the fact that using renewables to stabilize the cost of electricity, to understand the health implications of burning fossil fuels, it is totally shifting the narrative around what communities can and should be doing. Um, and I would also say that it's disingenuous and patently false to say that no entity can go 100% renewable. I think the science indicates that getting the grid to 80% would be relatively easy, but that last 20% would be tough. And, and no one denies the physics. That's not the issue. Uh, the issue is that when a city is run on 100% renewable energy, that's an accounting reality, not a physics reality. And I think that's really exciting. And so don't get hung up on someone claiming, well, you're never going to get to 100%. Looking five years back, we would never have thought that wind would be at price parity, much less solar be at price parity. Never in a million years would we thought that storage would be uh, a potential dispatchable resource uh, for utilities. But here we are. So when you think about establishing a target for 2030, much is going to happen between now and 2030. Much <laughs> will happen in the next uh, 30 to 50 years. So uh, I would say to any community that's contemplating this, be bold, uh, recognize the benefit, and recognize that energy is at the center of the sustainability challenge, and it's also an indispensable ingredient of, of our modern economic life. So um, the, the, the last piece is that kind of bringing it back to the idea of, of climate, um, we don't have to talk about energy and 100% renewable uh, energy as the biggest lever around climate change. We can talk about resilience uh, because it's equally important. But the reality is climate change carries serious consequences for, you know, for us as humans and for ecosystems. And it's a crisis that's going to affect our food, our national security, our water, our ability to live where we choose and basic human needs, etc. And And we see it 
every day when we look out our windows here in Colorado. And so it is extraordinary. It is incredibly hopeful when we see communities across this state declare their intention to go to 100% renewables for whatever reason. So again, it is a, it is a movement. It's a movement that I think we're going to see continue and it's going to uh, greatly expand in, in the coming years. Jonathan, thank you so much for taking the time to share what terrific work that you're up to in Boulder um, to advance clean local energy for your community um, and to reach that 100% goal, but also many of those other important goals that the city has had for itself. It's helpful for other communities to be able to hear what what the opportunities are more broadly uh, than just around climate and energy. And I think you guys have been doing that very well. Well, thanks very much. And I I think the strength of uh, our efforts are the fact that it is really driven from our community and really honored to be doing the work on their behalf. So always fun to talk to you. You too, Jonathan. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of our Voices of 100% series, where our host, John Farrell, was speaking with Jonathan Cohen about how far the city of Boulder, Colorado has come in its efforts to build a 100% local renewable energy future. For more information on cities that have committed to 100% renewable energy, check out other episodes in this series and explore ILSR's interactive community power map, which is available at ILSR.org. While you're on our website, you can also find more than 70 past episodes of the Local Energy Rules podcast. You can sign up for one of our newsletters and connect with us on social media. Tune back into this podcast in three weeks to hear more perspectives from local communities taking on concentrated power to transform our energy system. Until next time, keep your energy local, and thanks for listening.